0: I'm not gay. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Check Displeased, the podcast where we are reading through all of the webcomic, check, comma, please, exclamation point. And uh, we are bringing you our third episode today. We are going to be looking at, let me open up my outline. Um, Flow. That's right. We're looking at flow. We are looking at a comic that is called Hockey Shit with Ransom and Holster. It is uh, Ransom and Holster number one in the, I don't know, cataloging system such as it is, although more on that later. And uh, the the topic of the comic is flow. So we're gonna, we're gonna get into it. Uh, this strip was originally posted on the uh, 17th of June, 2013, to um, Ngozi's Tumblr, and then later these were all uploaded to the Check Please Tumblr, but uh, this is when it made its first appearance into the world. That was um, the day of game three of the Stanley Cup final, uh, Bruins versus Blackhawks, and the, the Bruins won. And I think that was the last time they would win in that series. And uh, I'm, I'm secret and I'm really pumped to talk about this comic because it's five panels. So how are we gonna turn this into an hour?
1: Who am I here with today? I'm tomato, known as tomato greens to some. Uh, I don't know who, but some. Um, and don't worry, I have plenty of thoughts. So I think that we can easily, easily break an hour. Uh, but we should start by going through the strip and what happens in it.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a fucking, uh,
1: I don't know. Do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, flow opens up. Well, first it's hockey shit with Ransom and Holster, which uh, I would just like to say I miss these strips on the reg because they brought me joy. Um, and flow opens up with flow, comma, noun the majestic mane that fluxes forth from the helmets of hockey bros, widely considered to be the most glorious fall athletic dues, And then we get a real, a real glamor shot of shitty um, with his beautiful, presumably smelly hair, but also shiny hair flowing behind him. Uh, There Ransom and Holster discuss how beautiful flowing hair can increase quote wheeling ability end quote. Um, and they critique his gorgeous hair. Then there are three women, one of whom is vomiting uproariously about how beautiful he is. Uh, one of them saying, my mind says no, but my body says yes, which frankly is a real check moment for all of us. Uh, and then um, then Ransom and Holster high five each other saying, that's sick flow, about Shitty's luscious locks. That's, a, that's the comic
0: yeah that's it uh well i i think it's been great talking to you and i am really looking forward to the next the next podcast i hope you have a great night and um see you later bye okay that's obviously
1: we're gonna we're gonna make a we're gonna make a mountain out of this molehill um i think shitty's hair there's you know what's the not to to get two mean girls on here but you know his hair is full of secrets like frankly there's not going I think there's stuff
0: that's worth exploring. Sorry, my water bottle knocked over. Uh, the cat knocked over my water bottle. Did water spill out of it? Yeah, it did, actually, but I'm just going to leave it there because uh, I don't know how to edit all this out yet. Um. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I like actually that there's like a little there's like a little trail of pixie dust or something. No, maybe it's dandruff. I'm not sure. Uh, it looks probably all three, to be honest. Yeah, there's like there's like something sort of magical coming out of his hair.
1: <sighs> oh boy! Why do you think it smells bad? I just I don't know. Okay, well here's the deal. First of all, as I mentioned, I think on a previous conversation. I went to a state university with a lot of very important athletics teams, according to the university, at least. And so I also spent a lot of time around people who played college sports or a fair amount of time around people who played college sports. And like, sometimes things just smell and there's just nothing you can do to make them stop smelling. But that said, although shitty obviously has luscious locks, I don't know. He doesn't strike me as someone who, um, is particularly interested until he sort of like cleans up for law school later on someone who's particularly interested in maintaining conventional norms of hygiene and clothing so maybe it doesn't smell maybe that's my maybe maybe I'm just worried he got a little of this woman's projectile vomit in it and I just have like a sense memory of I don't know
0: well, as we'll find out, if we, uh, decide to reread the extras, his pregame ritual is grooming his mustache. Oh, that's right. So, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's into, uh, maybe he's into, you know, just a really, really steamy
1: shower with some high quality shampoo. Actually, maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I, maybe I retract my fear here's what I presume he smells like. <laughs> I presume he smells like marijuana, but
0: here's the thing. I don't think we know that, or we don't know that about him, like within the confines of the comic yet.
1: No, we definitely don't. All that we've seen is him like sort of hit Biddy on the back. Uproar. And actually, I, something that I think is going to be interesting in sort of reading through this, I love how I'm
0: constantly talking in the podcast where we talk about what we're reading through. That <laughs> be reading through it um i don't know it's like certain things that seem innate to me when i think about the comic if if you're thinking about just reading through the comic it's like well here we are in the third comic we don't actually have this information and i do sort of wonder like how do we find out that shitty is a pothead if we're only reading the comic or how do we find out blank? if we're only reading the comic. Something I was actually, um, something I was actually wondering about uh, earlier, like when we were sort of, while I was editing like the first episode was, how do we know that Biddy likes Beyonce? And I have an answer to that. It's because it comes up in a few strips, but it's like, for a while you don't know that about him. And I suspect maybe you would have if you were, say, following Ngozi's Tumblr or, you know,
1: something like that. I know it comes up pretty early on when she's talking about his pregame playlist. Um, But that's an extra. Yeah, Yeah. she's not taught. That doesn't come up
0: in a strip at all, I don't
1: think. No, No, I don't think it does. Well me to separate it out, I mean, this is part of what I'm interested in as well, because when I was first reading this, I was consuming all of it, like the Twitter, the comic, everything Ngozi was writing, like weird little snippets of headcanon that floated out of the Twitter, etc. right? Or, or sort of not, maybe not headcanon, because it was word of God, but also weirdly kind of headcanony, because so many of them were never actually addressed or later got deleted or whatever, you know? Um, so it's hard for me me to even remember how I first encountered all of this stuff about the characters, because to me, it came in one sort of flow, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be sort of thinking, thinking about, from a kind of metatextual perspective, having, you know, obviously knowing what happens in all of the comic, and also having consumed all of the, uh, the word is paratext the uh, materials that sort of exist, like, you know, beside and in addition to supportive of the text. So it's like, you know, do I know this because I'm so fucking deep in the Sheckles fandom that I can't separate out the text from the paratext? Or is this something that's sort of organically introduced within the, the story itself? And, um... I guess we'll, we'll learn more about these characters as we go on and we'll, we'll sort of ask ourselves that. Um, I do wanna make a note about this particular strip. It's, it's actually, it's the first time that we actually see the team like on the ice like doing anything hockey related and it's the first time that we see them like in their uniforms. So if you're reading this in sequence, and we'll, we'll address the sequence issue in a minute. Um, yeah, this is, this is actually the first time you, you see these people doing something that overlaps with playing the sport of hockey.
1: I do think it's pretty appropriate that it's about how shitty's hair is hot, though. That feels, that feels good to me. Um, it feels appropriate for the amount of hockey that's in the series overall. Although I will say, actually, there are some really compelling game sequences. That she ends up drawing later, but for where we are now, bros on ice talking about beautiful hair like that—that that feels appropriate for sort of the the overall shape of the comic at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, I, on that note, I guess I would ask you: um, Is this comic part of the story of Sheckley's? What are we supposed to do with these hockey shit strips? If you're clicking through on the tumblr which is the way that i read this comic or if you're clicking through on the official website it's part of the sequence so you read eric biddle then you read the boys and then you get to flow i mean not so oh i'm sorry go on Yeah, but not actually, so not in the Kickstarter book that was printed for year one, not in the hockey, you know, hashtag hockey book that was printed by First Second. And it's not included in the sequence of the story in the archives on either the official website or the Tumblr. So this is our third episode. We're talking about hockey shit with Ransom and Holster. Like, is it part of the story? Like, what's going on here?
1: I would argue that there is a paradigm shift in the nature of the fourth wall in this comic, which shifts during year one and year two, and then is shifted by year three um, for the most part, with some limited exceptions. And so I think that if you think about, in a metatextual sense, right? If you're thinking about the project of the comic, the first First of all, as we've discussed, it sort of started as this fun project, so it, it didn't necessarily have an overarching, like, Biddy comes out and saves all gay young men everywhere sort of narrative attached to it at the beginning, right? But I also think- we really don't even know that Biddy is gay yet. That's true. I mean, I suspect, but I don't know. That's yeah, true. That first, that first comic was, was
0: pretty heavy hitting, but-
1: Right. Um, But if you look at sort of narrative devices in the first couple of years, particularly the first year, you've got Johnson Johnson, who is the fourth wall breaking goalie uh, as a running gag. You've got Mandy and Jenny, the ghosts who just completely disappear, um, who have a crush on Ransom. We haven't met them yet, but they pop up. Uh, actually, do they pop up in the text of the comic? I don't think Johnson pops up in the text of the comic, and I definitely don't think those
0: ghosts are in there either. I was thinking about John Johnson as well because I'm writing a fucking uh, Ollie Wiki fanfic, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll use Johnson. He'll be in this fic too. Fuck it." Um, yeah, I was thinking about this earlier because of that, and. I'm not sure Johnson is in the comic at all. I don't think any of these things we associate with, like the culture of check please, are actually in the comic check please.
1: I think it's all paratext. Oh man. Okay. So clearly, I haven't. I've been meaning to reread this comic since last summer, but oh, clearly I'm mean, we'll reading it. If that's what we're doing here. Exactly. So I completely. For I think John Johnson does. Did I call him Johnson Johnson before? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> How would you know? He's not really even in the story. Who cares what his name is? Um, So I would argue then that maybe this hockey shit with Ransom and Holster is the semi-textual piece that bridges that kind of project of breaking the fourth wall and brings it into, to some extent, the story or flow of the comic. Because that's what they're doing, right? They're sort of like introducing hockey topics for non-hockey. This was clearly designed for people who are not in hockey culture or whatever, or hockey bro culture enough to be like, oh yeah, Flo, that's a guy with good hair. Um, and so I, or specifically like, you know, serious business in the front, hockey party in the back kind of situations. So i I don't know. I would say that I guess... I guess the author has decided that they're not. And so they're not necessarily part of the actual sort of core of that concentric circle of different kinds of texts that surround this comic. But it's hard for me because this series of of panels and images were part of what whipped people into excitement about the comic. It's hard for me to separate, to separate it because it was this method of bringing people into the story the same way that the Twitter was a method of people bringing, bringing people into the story in the same way that the Ask a Welly extras where people would ask Ngozi questions on Tumblr and she would draw little comics in response, the same way that's part of bringing readers into the story. So, so I guess you have to ask how much does the project of the comic want to break the fourth wall and when that shifts can you retroactively sh- like shift what the comic was doing? Um, and I would say that Ngozi has done a pretty good job of shifting it, but I'm really curious why she didn't go back and like disconnect this from then, the series of comics in the story. I don't know if that's a very good answer, but that's what I'm thinking about. What do you think?
0: I mean, I think it's interesting because it basically creates like multiple, again, with like the way that the tweets have been sort of like, you know, broken up and re-edited and recurated and like re-sequenced in every different publication. There is no single experience of reading check please. It's like there's multiple different, and, and I don't just mean that in the sort of like author is dead, you know, primacy of the reader subjectivity sense, but like you know, there's no single experience of consuming the comic because, you know, I started reading this in, well, it was four years ago this month. It was, um, you know, April 2016. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do this, whatever. I went to, you know, OMG Check, Please at... um, Tumblr.com, and I clicked on start the comic, and it put me on a reading trajectory where I got to this strip third in the sequence, and where these comics about hockey shit with Ransom and Holster were sewn into my reading experience. And like, I'll never be able to think of that as ancillary to the narrative. They're embedded in like the sequence of what I learn about the characters, when I learn it about the characters, why it's brought in here instead of much later. Like, you know, I guess, you know, partly it has to do with her planning, both. The presentation of the comic and the story, and you know, her development, and so on, and so forth. But, like, I don't know, seems like maybe this flow comic would go better at a place where they're talking about hair, which weirdly enough comes up at different points of the comic. Or it seems like, you know, maybe there would have been a more meaningful place at which to introduce this idea. But, like, you know, I don't know. I think partly that does happen later. You know, after the first year of the comic, there's only um, one hockey shit comic per year, and they all seem to be relatively pointed. Like, they're giving you outside context at a point when you would want it in the reading of the story. But then, I don't know. Like, if you're, you know reading this comic because you've picked up a copy of it like in a library in a bookshop or something and you're flipping through you know if you get to the end of the the actual strips you may stop before you get into the you know hockey shit section why did i just say all that i don't know i just i think it's like yeah it's like i'm unable to divorce my reading of this comic from the fact that this strip was the third one and these hockey shit strips were part of my consumption of the comic. I feel like some people are probably not encountering it like that. I also kind of wonder, and this is where I'd turn this back to you after me ranting for what's got to be out on those seven years. Um, <laughs> I actually kind of, you know, I wonder if these are strips that are appealing to non-hockey readers because it's giving people context that they maybe wouldn't otherwise have, or if it's sort of appealing to people who are into hockey and know about hockey culture and they're trying to be like assured of the bona fides of the comic? Like, oh, if you like hockey, this is a safe thing for you to consume because I understand hockey culture and this comic is immersed in it.
1: What do you think? Oh, yeah. I think it's both. I mean, I was actually thinking about that when I was talking before about how this sort of like opens up certain jargony or silly or whatever words for people who haven't encountered them before. Um, It does also act as a, hey, I hear you, I know the language. It's it's an authority setting of some kind, right? Um, by the authorial voice. And it's also uh, reaching out towards people who are already in this community and, and saying like, yeah, we all know what's up. This is an affirmation of that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it serves both. I also can't remove myself from this. Like this sort of silliness, I would say, the sort of like, fun of this part of the comic is also integral to my enjoyment of the comic and part of why I got into it. Uh, And it's hard for me to imagine taking out these little asides and diversions from the experience of the comic. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's hard for me to tell whether that's just bias from my own experience of reading or whether it is actually integral to the story and removing it damages that story in some way. I'm not sure. For me, it damages it though. Like to remove it damages something about the characters cause I see less of their interaction with each other.
0: Yeah, that's actually true. It is sort of like, how do you know that Ransom and Holster are bros in the way that they're bros if you don't see them doing this series of comics together that's not to say that you don't it's just to say that like you know now that we're starting out I'm you know I'm starting to kind of ask myself questions about how my understanding of how the relationships in this comic functions was formed and um yeah I don't know I, I just, you know, I wonder, I'm starting to now question, like, you know, how do I know this about the characters? Is this something I got from the text or is it something that I learned because I was adjacent to all of the sort of peripheral things about the comic? Yeah. I will, I will say that people who are not diehard about the romance do seem to really like these strips, Like, I've read on, um, say, places like, say, El or in, you know, talking to people who have just sort of casually read the comic, I often notice people who are like, oh, I love these hockey shit strips. The rest of the comic is a little stupid. I wish it was just a whole comic about these, you know, hockey shit strips. So I think you may be on to something in your assessment.
1: Thank you. Oh, yeah. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Um, Can I ask you a question? Of course. I love to talk.
1: Uh, Why aren't Jack and Biddy in this strip? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, I've been thinking about this, actually, a little bit, just because I knew it was coming up. And I was I was trying to remember what the strip was when I reread it and was like, oh, I'm sort of surprised by the fact that Jack and Biddy aren't in it. I think it has a couple of different things going on. First of all, there was this um, slight cat and mouse game before Jack and Biddy get together, right? There was this teasing about it and then this sort of like, which we can explore as we go through, but there was, a, I, I think Ngozi would sort of tease about it and then sort of like retract the teasing. Um, and so their their relationship just wasn't central at the beginning except in the way that it built tension. Certainly at this point, it's not central because uh, Biddy just thinks Jack's an asshole who's like, eat protein, right? So that's just a completely different place of their relationship. But I also think at the beginning of the comic, it was an ensemble piece, much more so than it would become later. Obviously Biddy's always the central figure, but the first year, maybe two years, is more about him in relationship to this hub of people or this network of people rather than his relationship to one specific person, which then obviously shifts once they fall in love, et cetera. Um, and that's the, sh- the, the, the framework of the comic shifts. So I think at this point, Biddy, despite being the vlogging eye through which we are seeing most of the comic, is at this point, a somewhat equal player to the other characters. And so he's also a newcomer to this world, right? He hasn't been playing hockey very long, and before this, he only played co-ed hockey. So maybe he isn't part of hockey culture and therefore he too is kind of being brought into it um, through these strips in some way. That's my, that's what I was mulling over.
0: Yeah, that is um, interesting to me. And I think it makes a good point because, I mean, this is the third strip Like, okay, so she's posting them in the sequence that I read them in, that you read them in. Not the sequence that's in the book where they're, like, at the end. This is the third thing she's posted. The main character is not in it. So, if you're trying, I mean, Jack has only been in one strip and, you know, whatever. But, like, you know, if Biddy is your portal into the world if he's your you know, reader avatar, so to speak, why isn't this strip structured as Ransom and Holster explaining flow to Biddy, or Biddy like learning along with the reader? Or is it actually supposed to be like, we're assuming that that is what's
1: happening? I don't think it is. I mean, okay, I'm sorry that I'm like this, first Certainly. of all. I'm sorry I, I'm like this. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be. Uh, but I feel that there's, there's really something happening here, I think, with interaction with the reader in this way that is pretty common in comics, pretty rare in other kinds of storytelling, um, where the reader gets to be immersed in the world as someone who's being addressed. <laughs> And so I think that Biddy acts as the avatar for the reader most of the time, and I think in sort of the traditional strips, which are about Biddy's story, that's absolutely what's happening. But I think that this is, this is playing a little bit more with sort of comics, like the way that comics tell stories, which at times is just straight up to the reader telling like, hey, here's what's going on, like Biddy does, except that these are other characters talking to us. Um. So I think I don't think it's supposed to be too Biddy. I think it's supposed to be to us, and maybe we're still in the same place as Biddy, or someone who's either not part of the hockey world or is part of the hockey world but not part of this particular team, and we're being brought in in some way. But I really think I really think that the first two, like the first two years of the comic, when the Twitter was active, um, or at least the first year. I can't remember when the Twitter was deactivated. Uh, and like these extras were going on, I think a huge part of the engagement of the comic and part of the comics like narrative project was talking directly to the reader. And so I don't know, I don't think it's supposed to be replacing Biddy. I think we are supposed to be being immersed into this world in a particular way.
0: So I actually, we've touched on the idea of the Twitter a couple of times, but I don't think we've actually explained what it is. So
1: when you say the Twitter, what do you mean? Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, the Twitter account, OMG check, please. Yeah, so Ngozi has her own Twitter, which she actually uses to represent her life or whatever it is that you do on Twitter as a professional. I don't know. But she she also ran a Twitter account slash runs a Twitter account where she pretended to be Eric Biddle um, and would update real time. Uh, between between actual comic strip updates, alongside comic strip updates, after comic strip strip updates, communicating with, with fans as if Eric Biddle, you know, was like not paying attention in American studies class or whatever. And it was great. It was actually um, something that I'm sure that we'll continue to talk about uh, is that the update schedule for the comic has always been very sporadic. This was true in the beginning as well, and this Twitter kind of filled in a lot of the gaps between updates. It also acted as a narrative filter. So for example, uh, there are certain things we learned about the characters or certain events that happen that we never see in the comic and only get in the Twitter or only get references to in the Twitter. She live tweeted, quote unquote, some parties, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it was a place where fans could ask Eric Biddle questions and he would answer. Uh, and after a couple of years, that Twitter got locked down and ceased to be a site of interactivity. It became a sort of museum piece, kind of, where it was, she would mine little bits of update and then release.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we did get into some of that when we were talking about the tweets in the last episode. But it's worth picking over a little bit more because you're saying that it works in concert with, say, the hockey shit strips as a vehicle for reaching out beyond the narrative and Biddy's
1: perspective to the reader directly. Yeah, exactly. And there are little pieces of information that were revealed there Um, Like I Okay, my one interaction with this Twitter back in the day when I tried to be active on Twitter and then failed was asking, does Jack have a hockey monotone? And the answer was, yes. You're all welcome that we all know that now. But so for example, that's a piece of information about how that character talks that we never would have received otherwise. And so it was this way of still through Biddy's perspective, because Biddy was the like alleged person running the Twitter, right? But but it was a broader view of that universe outside of the framework of I'm vlogging about my life at college, you know? Well, okay. But that's
0: interesting. So if it's, um, if it's the whole thing is sort of framed around bitty vlogging, then isn't the whole thing basically just like reader interactivity and like addressing the reader.
1: Oh, totally. Except that I think that we are, we are in the early strips, we were actually interacting. Like there were actually avenues to talk to this Author and to the character quote like the characters as she played them on social media and then later that became a narrative device like without any actual interactivity
0: I will break in here and say that I don't think she actually started tweeting until year two okay
1: cool. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My, my, my theory on why, why Jack and Biddy aren't in this strip, um, I do, I like your idea about the idea that it's, it's much more about Biddy is your portal to this social dynamic rather than it's a story about Biddy. At the same time, I, I don't know, I just feel like Ransom and Holster effectively like represent hockey culture. I think, like, they are the avatars for hockey culture within the comic. I think that falls off at a certain point, and uh, we can, in future installments of our podcast, check displeased, uh, maybe, maybe guess at, you know, where that happens. But I think it, at this point, their function within the story is not really even to provide, like, you know, any kind of social, social outlet for Biddy. It's basically just to give context for hockey culture. That mm-hmm. makes a lot
1: of sense to me. And I'm sorry that I'm obsessed with reading theory. Oh
0: uh, no. I mean, I think that's great. Like I looked at the um I looked at the um the print book, um, the the first second hashtag hockey volume one. And I looked at the foreword from Ngozi. And Here's what she writes at the, you know, at the start of the story before you see any strips at all. The minute I began research, hockey suddenly transformed into this fast-paced, explosive, wild and beautiful game with a culture filled with strange rituals and cute nicknames and intense yet stoic men and women who strap knives to their boots and chase around slabs of vulcanized rubber. I had uncovered something weird and exciting and I had to tell the world. The graphic novel you're about to read is a love letter to college hockey, the bonds you form in undergrad, and self-acceptance. So this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons, and I thought it was important to bring into this particular, you know, flow discussion. But I will, off the top of the the bat, say that um, I do understand that she's, like, writing this several years after working on the strips that were talking about in conjunction to this excerpt and uh, I will say this thing about stoic men and women is interesting because I honestly do not think there is a single hockey playing woman in this comic at all I don't think so I don't remember ever seeing one yeah I mean I think the idea that there's there's such a thing as women's hockey is completely absent from it now I'm not saying that that's like a deal breaker or like super problematic, but I do think it's interesting that she's going on and sort of like throwing it into the paratext that she's creating for this as it gets a mainstream publication deal. However, the, the main thing that I wanted to pull out of here is, is basically about um, her prioritizing of, you know, this is a love letter to college hockey, and the bonds you form in undergrad as the things that to her seem meaningful about this project, and also the fact that the, the culture filled with strange rituals and cute nicknames, et cetera, et cetera, is to her what's really important, and she's highlighting it as why she wanted to make this comic. So from that perspective, I would maybe guess that like to her, the hockey shit strips are like an important and integral part of what she wants to make, if not necessarily the story she wants to tell.
1: But again, I think even throughout publishing the first second, double omnibuses or whatever, I think that her project has changed since this. I I would argue that the project of the narrative has changed since the beginning. So even if this is what she wanted to start exploring, by the end, it's not what she's exploring. So I'm really curious to see how and when that changes. Because by the end, there's we don't get very many hockey shit with Ransom and Holster strips at all, right?
0: No, they it. fall off after the, after the first year. There's, I think, like, there are four hockey shit strips in year one, debatably five, depending on how you count. And then there's one each in years two through four. And we can huh. talk when we get to those strips about, has the point of this hockey shit with Ransom and Holster gimmick fallen off? Or is it just like a nod back at what the comic was when it started is she using these strips for something different at this point
1: yeah I'm, I'm curious I don't remember I have a I have a big haze of my memory which is like all the times so I've read check please which is just basically at this point turned into like a big question mark with eyes that change colors or something you know I don't know
0: Well, I mean, to be, as the change colors, we don't even know anything about that. I don't think I've read this comic more than once in the sense of like reading through it strip by strip. Like, I think I only sat down and read through it as like a single work the first time I read it. I don't think I ever read through any of the Kickstarter books that I got. I never bought the first, second volumes. I flipped through them on bookstores, but mostly just to kind of like see what was in there. Yeah, I don't know, I just, it's like, I, I spent so long in the fandom for this comic that I, you know, eagerly and hungrily awaited the release of new strips and everything else. Because I was writing fanfiction and writing meta, I just, you know, would basically go back and hunt for the specific thing I wanted to reference. I never bothered to reread this like for pleasure as a work of fiction or a work of art that existed to be consumed as like, you know, a Gesamtkunstwerk or something like that. Can you define what that means? Yes, I can. Uh, Thank you. You can tell we're both like people who have done teaching that so much of this fucking podcast is just like, can you go back and tell me what this is? A Gesamtkunstwerk is a total work of art that is all encapsulating and holistic. So it was sort of first coined either by or for the operas of Wagner to basically describe the completeness and totality of both narrative storytelling and feeling within full operatic cycles. But it can be used to refer, say, to a house that's been both Designed schematically and furnished and finished by an architect or a single firm. So, something that was done, say, in the context of De Schel in the Netherlands, where something like, say, the Rietveld Schroeder House in Utrecht is a Gesamtkunstwerk because the whole thing, both the structure and the interior, is meant to be read as a total work. There are arguments to be made, I would say that things like ancient temples from Greece or Egypt or Rome are Gesamtkunstwerks because what's on the walls and the statuary that was inside and the performances that occurred there and everything going on within the structure was part of a single work of art that was meant to be read in total. And we have only in modernity because of, you know, say, both the market and the realities of like time passing and, you know, archaeology as a practice started to kind of dismantle these whole encapsulating works of art and reading the pieces separately. You know, I think applying the term Gesamtkunstwerk to Czech, please, is maybe just like... I don't know. I've been in the house for one month and here we are. We're calling Czech please a some Kunstwerk. But it's also the case that like, you know, it, it works on a couple of different levels. It's a single thing that you can consume in its entirety and understand as a singular artwork. But it's also this thing that's been broken down and sort of like pieced out and understood in little dismantled
1: bits that are applied where the reader wants to use them. I think there's something that makes sense to me about that as this work of many moving parts where there's this story and to me the these like other little pieces that are paratextual or extra textual or whatever you want to call them um because it's not quite paratext the extras they're like this weird sort of paratextual sort of textual piece are paratexts
0: i think that's what they are i think they're the paratext of the comic it's the things that are being created around you know the the
1: periphery of the comic to support the comic and you that's true i guess i always think of paratext as things like that are not part of the narrative and also are not serving a narrative function but i guess that's not actually the case
0: but i mean well i mean i guess this is the thing that we can spend the next uh what is it now 101 episodes basically like arguing about is you know What is part of this comic? Is it only these strips? Is it these strips and also the Ransom and Holster strips? Is it also the extras? Is it also the blogs? Is it also the tweets? Is it also the shit that's, like, behind a paywall on Ngozi's Patreon and or Patreon? I don't know which it is. Is it even though I listen to a million fucking podcasts where they're constantly saying join our whatever? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, like... I think the I think the extras, you know, they're both paratex and they're canon. Like I, I don't know, I we'll, we'll fucking get to it, I guess.
1: I guess it, in the context of all of that, it makes sense to me to call this a kind of like holistic work, which you can go in and out of to differing lengths or. Or depending on your archaeological tools and collective subconscious that you have with all other people who've ever read Check Please.
0: Well, so here's I guess here's here's what I'm gonna like kind of circle around to that the thing that I left off on uh, when I was outlining where what was gonna happen in this this thrilling episode. Like, how much is Check Please about hockey? And here's the thing. I think this is gonna be something we're gonna have to continually bring up and check in on because I don't know that it is, but I also think it's one of these things where like, it is what it wants to be. I also think you keep referring to like a shift or a change in sort of the meaning and the purpose and the goals of the comic. I think it started out about hockey. I think it was truly about hockey at the beginning. And I think at a certain point, it wasn't anymore. But here's the pitch I want to make that brings it back to flow. Overwhelming disgust, followed by inexplicable attraction. That's uh, that's what Holster says about flow. You could make the argument, and I will right now, that... Um, In a way, that's kind of a metaphor for hockey itself because hockey is this, like, exciting fucking game that is so much fun to watch and it's obvious that, like, Ngozi has a real fondness both for the sport and for all of the, like, really cool things that happen around it. The flow, the banter between the players all the other things we don't know about because we haven't read the rest of check please yet, but we'll find out about and it'll just make us love hockey more. But ultimately it's this like disgusting male dominated toxic, like, you know, awful fucking thing that as we'll also find out about from reading check please, like drives people to fucking suicide. And like, lays waste to people's bodies like you know excludes so many different kinds of people it's mainly a sport for like you know upper middle class white dudes not entirely obviously there's many many exceptions but like on the whole yes so I think what's interesting about this strip, and I don't know that it's meant to be read this way, but it's the way that I'm reading it. I, I think there is, at least in the first couple years, and maybe even the first like two and a half years of check Please, an innate understanding that there is a cost to loving hockey. It's something that will both repulse and attract you at the same time, if you really understand it. And maybe that goes for all professional sports, but I think it's certainly particular to hockey. That's my case that I'm making about the greater relevance of
1: this particular strip. I'm convinced. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think that th- I think that you're right. I actually would never. I felt the shift. I wouldn't have defined the shift in that way. But now that you've said it, it has settled into my brain in a particularly effective way I think that that is what's going on Um, and there's something about the kind of friendships bonds weird hive mind experiences that come along with being part of a group like this which Biddy it seems like was not part of before because his his sport before this was an individual sport. Um, there's something about being part of this toxic, gross, but completely compelling and intoxicating community that then is not what the comic's exploring anymore part way through.
0: But, like, I think it was exploring this. And, I mean... Yeah. I think as soon as we get to, like, the next trip after this, we'll, we'll start to see the texture of that exploration. But, like, I think it was. I really think it was. And then I think at a certain point, it was
1: just like, well, fuck it. For various reasons, which we can explore as we get to them, I guess.
0: Anything else you would like to throw in here about Ransom and Holster present? hockey shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was like what's the name of this fucking strip uh, <laughs> uh, i forgot how much fun i had with this comic at the beginning and i'm having fun again and it feels nice that's all
0: well, that's so nice that's such a nice thing to say um i'm not having fun yet but i think i will <laughs> <laughs> there's something I'm, I'm real horny for in the strip after this, and then the strip after that. Oh boy! <laughs> Wait, what is the next strip? Uh, thanks for asking, Tomato. Uh, the next strip is going to be Strip One Point Three: The Coaches. Oh boy! All where right. We meet the most important Chuck Please characters: the coaches.
1: Oh, integral, integral to every single strip after their introduction. Absolutely, yeah. Really, none of this would be happening without them.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, you know. So they're, they're the insiders of the whole thing. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But um, yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to say anything in a, in a French Canadian accent before we go?
1: <laughs> I'm gay.
0: All right, I'll, I'll tell the story and then we'll, we'll hang up. There is a very early fanfic for this comic that is called Hockeyed Up. It is a very, very, very funny pun that you can be both keyed up and hockeyed up. And um, it was written by somebody named Sophie, who is French-Canadian. And Sophie recorded a pod fic of her own fic. And because she's French-Canadian, she does Jack's accent in uh, French-Canadian dialect. And one of the just, like, standout memories of having fun about Czech plays was after I um, heard this podcast for the first time, I basically made tomatoes sit down on, like, a stoop in front of the new school on fifth avenue in manhattan and i took out my phone and i just basically like searched the whole thick for a clip of jack saying i'm not gay (laughs) and then also at another point you're gonna beat them up for me (laughs) and uh please say something this has gone off the rails it's really gone off the rails
1: those have really, those, those moments, those particular little quotes from this vic have stuck with me for ever since. I also should say that I do speak French, but I don't speak Canadian French. So sometimes when I try to do French, uh, Jack's accent to myself, just so I can like really, really get there, um, I struggle. So what ends up happening is I end up saying I'm not gay to myself to try to, try to really understand his like whole ethos, really.
0: You want I I do the same thing, actually. I, I think I'm not gay.
1: It really just encapsulates so much about him. Yeah, I mean, he's gay, so I don't know what you want. Um, I would just like to say that I got a performance of the first strip in A Southern Accent, and it was truly perfection. All right, then uh, we'll, we'll
0: cut it off here. Uh, I Am Secret. I'm tomato greens. And this has been check displeased. And uh, we've got our first episode up now. We're so happy that uh, one person commented on it. And um, yeah, we will see you next time where we hop into strip 1.3. The coaches. Bye. Bye guys. Yeah, you know, everyone, they see me and they think about the drugs first. Or the fact I'm crazy, I guess. It's nice you forgot about it. Biddy instantly goes from looking like he wants to hide under Jack's bed to righteously angry. (gasps) Who said you're crazy? (laughs) Jack smiles. You gonna go beat them up?